Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. ago in April 2017 Ari and I had an entire episode of a different show where we just bitched about all of you and we decided to do that 150 more times I'm Marissa Alexa McCool this is our 150th episode and joining us is Ari and Eli dad me I'm Ari and Eli um and I'm Eli and Ari (laughs) (laughs) or are you? No, Ari. <laughs> anyway, we're going to start this the same way we started, like, I don't know, 80% of the episodes. So we'll be right back. Welcome, first years, to Biology 101. Here we'll be learning all the basics of how living things work. Of course they won't say fresh men anymore. If they were really brave, they'd say fresh women to acknowledge that all life comes from a woman. Well, I am a first year. Are are you all new here too? Well... You you don't seem to be that new. Definitely not young enough to be at prime reproductive age anyway. Well, men hit their sexual peak at 18, but women don't until their 30s, so you're wrong. What are we talking about, and why is it sex? Not true, not true. Scientifically speaking, your eggs are way past their best buy date by the time you're 25. And I'm sure that next you're going to claim that the hymen is a tamper-evident seal. Well, actually, men can't help it if we're all universally and exclusively attracted to signs of fertility and youth. Well, I can't blame you. All life comes from the ancient sacred feminine. I mean, even you did, goddess help you. Hold on, signs of youth? What about acne? Acne is a sign of disease and poor hygiene. Well, that's not true. But what about PMS pubes and pit hair? Means you're probably ovulating infertile, right? Celebrate the sacred red feminine that unites all women. That's right. You tell him, sister. Ew. Why are you being so gross? Of course, women's bodies are disgusting to you, even though you're talking about having sex with as young of women as possible. Typical man. And what about the ultimate sign that you can have kids? Like pregnancy, or even having had kids? MILFs aren't scientifically attractive. That's just a fetish. All science is just men telling women what to do. What about the science that proves women aren't inferior? That's feminism. That's not science. Exactly. 
It's not scientific. Therefore, it's not factual. I'm so confused. There's nothing confusing about liberation, sister woman. Yep. Nothing wrong with liberation. When I get liberated later. Now I'm even more confused. Aren't my eggs old and unwanted? I'm willing to give you a chance. No, don't go with him. He wants to subject you to violent male sex. As opposed to what you'll give her? A candlelit poetry reading followed by a U-Haul move-in and then bed death? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> ah, so you've seen my sex tape. Rather die. Thank you very much. Honestly, really grateful right now that all living things eventually die. People don't like this character because it's asking Atheist Day. (laughs) (laughs) That poor professor had to sit there and listen to (laughs) these the whole time. Actually, well, actually, no, I I was a philosophy major, and this is actually a conversation that's not that off for philosophy students. Oh, yeah. I'm not surprised. Especially especially philosophy students in a Bio 101 class to hit those requirements. Yeah. Ah, so I did, since this is the sexy episode, and I did say some funny, funny things in that it um i wanted to talk about the signs of fertility and youth that evo psych bros love to tell us about and how those are sexy and like all the examples they give are literally just from the current cultural context which is them larping the 50s from leave it to beaver like Uh, and also being echoed by jordan b peterson Oh, Lobster Daddy. (laughs) But, like, they'll say things like, oh, pink nipples and labia are, like, signs of youth and attractiveness because, like, your nips and or labia get darker with age, and therefore that's why men like pink labia. And, like, there are even women who fall for this, like, cis women who, like, there's there's this thing called uh, my new something, like, some ridiculous dye for your vagina allegedly like it was to this came out like over 10 years ago but i used i got into an argument on the amazon page for them and that (laughs) argument went on for literal years i still don't know if the product was ever sold or used but basically they claimed that they would reduce uh, they would um restore your youthful pinkness and i'm like but some people's genitals were never pink like, mine were never pink. I'm a brown person. Like, <laughs> at, at, at the best you could call it as far as pink would be a dusky rose. You know? Like, that's as close to pink as I ever got. So, yeah, clearly they're just talking about white people. Because, like, yeah. you know, some of us were born with the Hershey mm-hmm. Kiss nips. Deal with it, you know? It's kind of like how um, how a nude shade in makeup is nude for white people. <laughs> like, it's not yeah. nude for black people or brown people or, or, like, or the- Asian people. I really love when they call a shade tan because it's like, you know, brown people also tan. Like, I look different in summer. Like, <laughs> what? Whose tan are we talking about? Um, whoa, 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 whoa. Eli, 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 uh, you, you can't possibly be trying to tell me that people who are super sexist are also problematic in other areas. Oh, scary. <laughs> who knew? Um, also, thinness versus fatness is a fun one because thinness is now fetishized because it's a sign of wealth and um, a sign of like adhering to the norm, which people like people who adhere to norms because people are basic. And by people, I mean the <laughs> cis. We're superhuman. <laughs> We're better than that. But yeah, no, you'll see thinness versus fatness, which actually, unfortunately, infects queer spaces too, you know. The smaller your body, especially out here in Southern California, like even in queer spaces, that's who is eroticized more than anything. But I, I got, I've gotten into multiple arguments with men who claim that 
oh, now we know that science proves that thinness is better. And I'm like, I, I don't know, that's not scientifically true, but also in the past, they fetishized fatness, as which is also an indicator of wealth. So it's like, you can clearly see that people are just fetishizing indicators of wealth. But these guys claim that in the past, our, our attractions weren't scientific, but now they are. And I'm like, that that doesn't make any sense, like, at all. And also, like, to a certain extent, like, it depends on how much thinness we're talking about for the individual person. And, you know, not to get into ED trigger, um, you know, territory, but for most for most uh, cis women like if you're below a certain percentage of body fat you're not going to ovulate because your body's like oh we're in a famine let's not have babies cuz that's a shitty idea in a famine like that is actually scientific but you know are we going to talk like and i i call these guys like science boner guys like cuz that's literally what they're saying they're saying oh the science proves that my particular boner is like the most scientific and i'm like this makes no sense because you will hear different men saying the exact opposite thing and claiming that's the science like the guys who are more into thinness will say one thing the guys who are more into quote-unquote curves will say oh well actually fat is a sign of reproductive health and it's like no your brain doesn't work that way your brain doesn't analyze scientific data on fertility and decide to want to have sex like most fetishes and attractions are ultimately either ascribable to something inexplicable or to cultural norms. Like, that's literally all we're going to know. Like, yeah. I feel like the same people, the same guys who say this are the ones that think that lesbians are only waiting for the right magic boner to come along. And of course, it's going to be theirs. Like, I, I just feel like it's the same. The Venn diagram is a circle. Yeah, it's like they'll, they'll they'll do their best to explain, and and some even well-meaning people will do this. They'll try to explain gayness using reproductive fitness, and I'm like, could you shut the hell up? Like they'll <laughs> say that lesbians are doing it because like it looks hot to men, it arouses men. So even if those men don't have sex with those women, they're gonna take their 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 turgid members to their wives or whatever and impregnate them. And then, you know, people try to explain like men who have sex with men by saying, Oh, it's because of the uncle theory. Like there's a hypothesis and it's just a hypothesis. It's not even a theory that like certain people not reproducing is good for a population because then they can like babysit their sister's kids or something. And I'm like, ah, like, yes, it is good to have, people who don't have kids to help out in child rearing situations certainly but like that's a stretch like you better have done some yoga before doing that reach or you're gonna sprain something like <laughs> yeah and i'm pretty sure a lot of the people who are childless uh definitely don't want to w- be watching your fuck trophies run around so you know just <laughs> keep it to yourself just because you want a night out to ignore your partner and call into savage Lovecast and Never consider actually talking to them about this deep, mysterious fetish you have called blowjobs. I'm so sorry, but no. Yeah, like, we we can actually, like, there are statistical methods for evaluating sex acts and their prevalence and what they connect to. So, like, you know, thinness and foulness and wealth. You know, blowjobs are more common in places where uh, babies who are born with penises are circumcised more. It's because it's a desensitiz eh, I can speak English desensitization effect, and so like there's some correlation between that because then you know if your penis isn't protected and it's just being knocked around in your pants, like you're gonna need a little more to get it going potentially than someone who's isn't circumcised and you know their penis is happy and safe within a little uh, <laughs> a little uh, glove, a little turtleneck. Aww. That's what it looks like. Aww. Okay. Okay, don't at me, y'all. I don't want people to yell at me about circumcision one way or another. <laughs> Please, I don't care if you're pro or anti, like, shh, go away. <laughs> but yeah. All right, so I guess, Ari, your first uh, sexy episode topic. Well, since this is a trans show, I thought we should talk about trans stuff. And one thing that people are perpetually interested in, whether they're trans themselves or cis, is what is sexuality like 
for trans people, especially trans people who do uh, hormone therapy. And as a person who has done hormone therapy, I can talk about that in my own personal experience. <laughs> Obviously, things are not the same for everybody. Um, and if you're trans femme, it's probably going to be different than if you're trans mask. Um, but well, then I'll be here to help the other side. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, so I was, I was always a pretty horny kid. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I started masturbating. Like, I can't even. I don't even have memories that go that far back, like four or five, definitely, uh, possibly three years old. Um, so yeah, I was, I was sexually precocious, shall we say? Um, so like, it's not like I like had no sex drive and then took testosterone and then became a sex demon or whatever, but like, (laughs) (laughs) like it. I I don't think except for maybe a few times during like the peak of puberty like I never experienced a situation where like it was like physically uncomfortable how horny I was until I started testosterone and it took like a week and a half for that shit to kick in <laughs> after I started testosterone like I had never had that experience before like I said except for maybe like as a teenager for like a short period of time of like just like being at work and just like counting down the minutes until I could get home so that I could do something about it. Um, And I know that's not the case for everybody and it's kind of stereotypical, I guess, that testosterone makes you horny or whatever. Um, But it is interesting. Like I've I've heard a lot of people talk about um, their – maybe not who they're attracted to changing completely, but like the way that they experience sexuality or like the the way that they experience orgasm even, or the things that they find attractive about people can change because of hormones. Um, Mm -hmm. So like for me, I, I didn't notice any difference. Like I was pansexual before I was still pansexual. Like I didn't become more or less attracted to anything that I was before, but like, well, first of all, like I like I said before, like s- sexual release, like became it, it, before testosterone, it would be like, um, oh, I'm feeling horny. I guess I'm gonna do something about it. And then after testosterone, it was like kind of the opposite. Like I'd be I'd be thinking about being horny. And then be like, okay, I'm going to do something now that's going to make me horny. <laughs> like, does that make sense? I don't know if I'm making any yeah. sense. Like, yeah. before it would just be like, if if it came up, then that would be something that I'd be interested in. But then after I started, like, especially during the first few months was when it was at its worst. It was like something that was on my mind a lot more so that like, even if I wasn't necessarily feeling horny, like I'd be more likely to go out and like, watch porn or something to get horny whereas that would yeah. not have been something that I would have done before that's exactly how I experienced it as far as like yeah like I was thinking more about sex without becoming horny and I needed I need more stuff now to like get me more horny and then resolve the horny where before <laughs> like if I was horny I was horny and I dealt with it you know mm-hmm. we're like now it's just more on my mind like I, I know what you mean by, like, the, like, it was less of a libido change for me and more, like, an awareness change. Hmm. Like, I, I joke with people that it's kind of like having, like, my libido turned into an app with notifications that I couldn't turn off. <laughs> like, it was like, reminder, you like sex and that person is attractive. I'm like, yes, brain, we know it. Like, dismiss notification. Five minutes later, hey, as a reminder... <laughs> You like sex, and this person is also attractive. And also, remember the other person who's also attractive? And I'm like, yes, I know these people exist, but we don't want to think about that right now. And, like, dismiss the notification. And, yeah, like, the notifications have become less annoying. I don't know if I'm just dealing with it better or, like, it's become less of a thing. But, yeah, like, T definitely changed that. T also changed the way I orgasm, and not for the better, I mean, I'll take it. I'll, I'll, I'll take it. Like, all the other changes are worth it. But before I was multi-orgasmic, 
and it did not take that much for me to get there if I was horny. And now, like, it takes a lot of time and a lot more effort. And actually, the only reason I went up in my dose, because my initial dose was fine for the other changes, but it got me horny and unable to come unless I, like, masturbated until my dick was numb. Like, <laughs> and even then, there was no guarantee. And so, like, I went into my practitioner after the three months, and I'm like, everything's great, but I can't come even after, like, three entire porns. porns. And I'm not talking clips. Like, yeah. full-length pornographic film features. Like, I needed three and, like, five vibrators all dead by the time I was done. Oh, and I'm no. like, please give me more tea. Because I was complaining about it to someone I know who is also trans, and he's like, you probably need more toast. <laughs> And so I'm like, please help me. I'm in horny pur- purgatory. <laughs> so, yeah, they upped my dose ever so slightly. And that was now I'm happy and fine oh. with it. But no, I did. It- I did not have that. experience. Like, I, re- I remember that orgasms started to feel different. And like, now I can't remember <laughs> how it was different. Because um, I, I, I was on testosterone for like two ish years. And then I've been off for a few years. And was trying to get back on and then COVID happened. So no more doctor's appointments until that's over. Um, But I'm like trying to remember like in the before times and then in the during times, like I I remember it feeling differently. And I think it, I, I think in one situation and I can't remember which, it was like more of a full body experience. And then in the other, it was more just like crotch centric and I honestly can't remember which one was which. Yeah, I'd say like generally for me, it was definitely more full body before and less now. Mm. With the caveat that the kind of stimulation I'm receiving affects that as well. So mm. I can still have a full body orgasm but, like, it can't just be from jerking my dick. Like, there has mm. to be other things happening. And also probably another person. Because the psychological matters, you know? Oh, definitely. Like, you know, the kind of coming I do, just me and my satisfier, um, is very different from, like, if my girlfriend comes over versus my partner versus, you know, a rando. But, like, no girlfriends are randos because COVID right now. Mm-hmm. So it's just me and my porns. Yeah. And that's that's another thing that changed for me is that before testosterone, I probably had watched porn like twice in my life. And then after like very quickly after, like, I started being like, yeah, I want to do this every time. <laughs> and I don't know Same. why. Like, I don't know if it was just because like, I was just more feeling more horny in general and like just wanted to seek out more sexy stuff to have during the sexy times. Um, I'm not sure exactly why that, or like, I've heard some people say that like they, they become more visually oriented. So like they're more turned on by visual stuff. Whereas before they were more turned on by like the, the psychological aspect of it. For me, I feel like it was less that I became more visual and versus psychological and more like, like I mentioned, like it's hard, it was harder for me to get physically aroused Mm. and also resolve it. And like, a visual medium is like a, an audiovisual medium, especially is enough sensory import where like my body will do its thing. Where before, like it was a lot easier for me to get like physically turned on if I wanted to. Like if I felt horny before, like I could read something sexy or think about something sexy, and boom, you know, I was wet and I could do what I needed to do. And like that's just not true anymore. It's more work to get there, but. I mean, there are upsides to it, too, I guess. Like, you know, it does make me, like, less selfish of a lover, which is weird because, you know, you think, oh, men, they're, like, way more selfish. I think that has more to do with, like, male entitlement, which I do not have. (laughs) Uh, Like, for me, because it takes so much longer to, like, get aroused and resolve the arousal, like, I am way more willing to, like, spend a long time on a partner and then that will get me excited. And then we can just resolve me at the end and no worries there. Hmm. Can I get in here? No. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> so one of us likes threesomes, the other doesn't, clearly. <laughs> uh, I, I was just, I was waiting my turn politely, you know, <laughs> being the opposite of my uh, skit character. Uh, but 
It's it's interesting hearing uh, the both of you talk about what is essentially uh, my two puberties in reverse. Um, <laughs> so as a person who was assigned at birth, um, uh, it, it was very crotch centric growing up. Like it's just like anything you could touch it to, you know, just <laughs> gr- grind up against it. Oh, that that sofa feels nice. Like it was really that bad the first time around. You know, I mean, you, that's, you that's just... what I did as a kid. I used to hump industrial freezers because they vibrate. <laughs> Well, when when I had the unfortunate protrusion, just like anything it would glance up against, it'd be like, oh, I'm here now. You know, it, it was pretty maddening. Um, sex for me, uh, pre-transition was very different. Um, the, the, I had a very odd thing happen, and that was either I would for a PIV or PI, whatever, uh, I would either want to come immediately or it would take an hour and a half and there was no in the middle and it was different with a person. So like I have one girlfriend, like the second she put it in, I would just be like, Oh fuck. Right. So that was awful. But then there was another one where I couldn't get there if I had three different stimuli and a porn on. Like, it just didn't happen. So it was random. I think that was that that's a good way to put it. And then, like, when I started estrogen, like, I started feeling very sensitive at first, like, physically as well as emotionally. But that's a different episode. <laughs> but then, like, my libido nose dove for, like... Oh, three or four months. Like, I just had no interest whatsoever. And the unfortunate protrusion I still had, like, I felt nothing. I, I didn't feel anything. It wasn't, um, I, there was no sensitive area on it whatsoever. Um, it would just take a tremendous amount of pressure to even get some kind of resemblance of, uh, you know, erectile to even do anything of that nature. And I was totally fine with that for a while, but then it got like, eh, my body still feels the need to do stuff. So I don't know. And then like, I would say around eight months into transition, all of a sudden it just hit. Whoa. It was like, I have to do this 38 times a day in every room in the house now. (laughs) And It definitely started to become more of a full body experience at that point. But still, there was only, like, one spot on the entire arrangement that was sensitive at all. And it would take forever to have an orgasm. And by that time, uh, it didn't produce anything either. And, like, I, I, sex was one thing. But if I tried to masturbate, like, it would almost be an inconvenience. So, like, it'd be like, eh, I haven't had an orgasm in a while. Guess I'll just, bleh, whatever. Like, it was nothing. Um, then of course, uh, once I got a vagina, uh, it took a long time to be able to come and then it took a long time to be able to come within four or five hours. And now it's just like, holy shit. So, um, it's, it's a total full body experience and it's also way, way better than anything I ever had pre-surgery. So, uh, I just listening to the both of you, like there were some things I had before and some things I had after and, uh, like for, for, for each of you, I was just finding different things in different areas and they weren't consistent, but that's kind of a roundabout way of saying how mine went. <laughs> yeah. And I, I just remembered too, um, within like the like first few weeks to months of testosterone, like I was having bottom growth, which is. A, a, a PC way of saying that your clitoris gets bigger and looks like a tiny penis. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, it was such a weird experience because like I I would have like such strange sensations because like I was horny and also like my clit was growing like very quickly. And so like it was this weird uncomfortable feeling sometimes where like I couldn't tell if I was horny or having growing pains or growth. <laughs> 
my god relatable it was, like, it was like throbbing and like usually when it's throbbing that means you're horny but then also it was like but also a lot of blood is going there because it's physically growing so it was just such a weird awkward time and i wonder if cis guys have that with their penis i don't think they do but maybe i don't know I feel like their growth is more gradual and they've already yeah. had one for a while, you mm-hmm. know, like, and for me, like, I didn't get as much growth and I don't think I ever will because I started small. Hooray. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, you know, that's the funny thing. Like, I, like, I'd seen a lot of other people's, like, vulvas, like, not to brag, but like, I've, I've had <laughs> sex before. Yeah. Like, and, and like, before I started, like, tea and everything, I, I had so much, like, clit and labia envy. Like, every time I saw someone who was, like, more flowery in the labia or, like, bigger in the clit, I'm like, dang, like, I'm just so small. And I'm like, wait a minute, this is not a thought most women have. Um, who knows? But anyway, like, yeah. It- flowery in the labia is my new Indigo Girl cover band. <laughs> But yeah, like, I, I got so excited when even, like, I got my little bit of growth. But yeah, it is awkward, and I still remember the first time I felt, like, I, I remember reading in books or, like, erotica or whatever, where or a guy will say, like, my cock jumped in my pants. I'm like, how the fuck does that happen? That's not a real thing. And then it happened! <laughs> like, when I suddenly went from off to on, and I felt that little jump, and I'm like, Jesus Christ, that's not a metaphor. Yeah, no, it's not. And you can, if, if you look close enough, you can even see it, like, becoming erect like a penis. Like, obviously, it's not at nearly as big as a regular penis, and it doesn't, like, stick straight up. But, like, that was not something that I ever noticed. Well, maybe because I never thought to look. Um, when, <laughs> before testosterone but afterwards I was like let's see what this looks like and I'm like oh it, it's kind of sticking up a little bit what is that about that's you know interesting this, I'm, I'm very proud of you for suffering through that for science <laughs> you have made a great sacrifice my friend oh, it was tough so uh, Eli I'd love to hear you uh, talk about this uh, sexual peak because uh um, I'm going to talk about some trans myths too, but uh, I, I, I kind of want to hear this one. Yeah, of course. So um, in the sk- skit, we uh, we uh, reference the thing about men's sexual peak being at 18 and women's being in their 30s. That is, so it's based on a study that isn't actually talking about what most people would think of when they hear the term sexual peak. Like what they mean is like, when were you most satisfied with your sex life or when did you have the most orgasms or when like, you know, it's things like that. It's not like you're the best of sex or you had good sex or whatever. And like, if you look at the attitudes behind it, what they were looking at, like a lot of men will say, Oh yeah. Like I was at my peak at 18. What they meant was like, they got their hardest and they stayed their hardest, and they had a lower refractory period, which is just like a function of youth, right? Like you have more energy. Where when they were asking women, what they meant is they felt comfortable in their bodies, they were happier uh, with their sex lives, and so on. So like they were testing and asking for two entirely different things. So calling both those things a sexual peak is not only like misleading, but like wrong, because it's two completely different things. And I mean, like, if, like, for example, we had a study where we pitted cis people against trans people, I am guessing cis people are going to say their sexual peak was at a younger age than most trans people, especially those of us who started hormones at a later age. Like, Uh I feel like my sexual peak is still ahead, and I'm 32 next week. Mm. You know, like, I don't have as much energy as I did when I was 18 or whatever, but, like, Right now, I am the most satisfied I've ever been with, like, my romantic situation, my living situation. I'm dealing with my PTSD and anxiety. Like, I'm on hormones. I have a hot girlfriend. Like, hello. Like, I feel like sexual peak is just waiting for me. Yeah. And I I feel the same way, but I think – but I mostly think about it in terms of just having – more life experience and more time to unlearn like those toxic messages that you get as somebody socialized female as a kid about like being ashamed of your sexuality. And 
um, you know, what, what relationships are supposed to look like and all of that. Like, and because of like a lot of conscious unlearning that I've been doing, especially for the past four years since becoming polyamorous, like that I, I've made like huge strides in being more comfortable with my sexuality and like, now the idea of like just hooking up with somebody, which is not something that I've ever done before. I'm like, I could maybe do that, which is like not something I would have ever considered before. For real. And like for me, unlearning internalized fat phobia was like huge for getting comfortable with my body and having better sex. And like, I didn't do that until like a couple of years ago. Like, I didn't go into intuitive eating and like body positive therapy until I was almost 30. So, you know, and I would say the sex I had before, while not terrible, was definitely like mediocre in comparison. Yeah, I I, I think um one of the first ways I knew I was different as a kid was that I didn't understand or buy into anything I was being told about sex or <laughs> like just attractiveness in general. Like I remember that my dad would just comment on women's appearances like all the time. And I would just be kind of like, what, what why are you doing that? Like it, just, it didn't even occur to me. And uh, that's probably why I was <laughs> presumed to be gay. Uh, probably the first reason. Uh, but I, I, I maybe because I was just always so outside of what I was told I was supposed to find attractive, what I was told I was supposed to feel, uh, you know, just all of that. Like I didn't have as much unlearning to do uh, as someone who was socialized completely wrong, but it was definitely a complete transformation from what I thought to what I actually am. Uh, once I really started, um, going full tilt into my transition like everything changed the way i thought changed the way i was attracted to people changed um so yeah it's it's a bizarre road to take <laughs> and sex drive and like all that even for like your standard stock cis straight person like it absolutely changes and fluctuates over time like due to everything from like hormone levels to life situation like you know even like things like economic insecurity you know like some people when they're anxious want to fuck and some people when they're anxious that's the last thing they want to do you know so like could people chill out with the generalizations please and thank you <laughs> So, Ari, you've got a little story there about uh, something of a certain color. Uh, oh, yeah, we covered that in the in the thing. That was just a note for. Oh, we did. Yeah, but I'll go on to the next thing. Um, okay. So, so this is something that I've been thinking about off and on for maybe a few months. Like nothing too serious, but it does pop up every once in a while. And that is the question: Am I demisexual? I do not know the answer to this question. I do not know if it matters if I have an answer to this question. Um, but it's just something that kind of comes up every so often, like especially when I think about how I tend to go about relationships versus how a lot of other people do. Um, so I want to get your opinion on this. Like, I don't know if you two are experts on demisexuality or not, Like, but like – so according to uh, the Asexuality Wiki – a demisexual person is someone who does not experience sexual attraction to another person unless or until they have formed an emotional connection with that person. Edit, and also possibly just an intellectual connection. Um, the term demisexual comes from the orientation halfway between sexual and asexual, halfway between being in quotes. Um so let's see, according to one hypothetical model, a person who identifies as demisexual does not experience primary sexual attraction, but does experience secondary sexual attraction. Primary sexual attraction is based on outward qualities such as a person's looks, clothes, or personality, while secondary sexual attraction is attraction stemming from a connection, usually romantic, or from status or how closely the person is in relationship to the other. So like, I don't know... I feel like I kind of fit that and I kind of don't because – so I wouldn't say that I 
never experience sexual attraction to people that I don't have a connection with, but I would say that it's fairly rare compared to most other people that I, th- I mean, at least I think how most other people experience it. Like there was, um, there was like a, a meme type thing. It was one of those like Facebook games that happened right before COVID, COVID. And so it died a premature death and didn't go as viral as I thought it was going to. But it was like post pictures of four celebrities that you're attracted to so that your your feed can judge whether you have good taste or something. And I like I wasn't interested in the judging whether I have good taste part, but like I thought about doing it and I could only come up with like two celebrities <laughs> that I thought were attractive um, just based on – but a lot – I don't know. Some of it might even be their personality. It's – I don't know. I don't freaking know. And like the – the the concept of like having a one night stand or a hookup like uh, as much as i earlier in the show said that that's something that i would consider now like it still would require like a very special situation cuz like for me i just like i don't know if it's a sexuality thing or if it's just like a not trusting or being comfortable with other people thing but like it would be very difficult for me to do something like that and like even if I was attracted to the person I I would just feel really awkward about it I I don't know (laughs) I am very confused like personally like this is why like I tend to step away from like um, any discourse around demisexuality or asexuality Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. I find it really hard to differentiate you know, like when they say attraction to personality is an external factor, I'm like, is it yeah, though? Like, yeah, I don't sure know. That. And like connection, emotional bond, like what is an emotional bond versus a friendship bond, like uh, versus solidarity or camaraderie? I find it very hard to differentiate those things. Um, mm-hmm. And that being said, like if I find someone aesthetically appealing but they say shitty things or are horrible or annoying like then my attraction to them goes away Mm -hmm. like but like I I feel like these distinctions sometimes are talking about things that aren't so easy to differentiate and like I've asked people how they differentiate those things and it seems to be really subjective so that doesn't make it not real when it comes to things like demisexual or like gray asexual or even like sapiosexual, like you ask five different people, you're going to get five different answers as to why they identify that way and what that means to them. And it doesn't mean that they're wrong, but it's just like it's confusing to somebody who's trying to navigate this thing. And like if we don't have clear agreed upon definitions, like then I can't really go one way or the other with whether this label applies to me. I I did want to say though, even though it's subjective, that doesn't mean it's not real. Because because yeah. like people say subjective to mean not real. I'm like that's that's not true. We all have subjective experiences of the world, like that they're that are real. Um, and obviously, sapiosexual is a lot less valid, if valid at all, <laughs> compared to like you know gray sexuality or or uh, demisexuality. I've even seen people say like, oh, I identify as sapiosexual because. Um, because I have to connect with somebody before I'm attracted to them. And I'm like, but isn't that demisexual? Like, I'm very confused now. And and also, like, I feel like there is an argument to be made that, like, not everyone takes that much time to connect to another person. Mm-hmm. Like, people argue that, oh, it takes me time to develop feelings for someone. And then I'm like, so you're just slow to trust people and, like, have a connection to them? Like, that's not a judgment. That's just like how I feel about it and like personally for me like I feel like also there's an association of sexuality with vulnerability that I don't feel personally because for me like it like I can bang someone for like seven years before opening up to them emotionally thing that actually happened like I had a fuck buddy off and on and it was like seven years before we had an emotionally frank conversation but that's because like I protect my heart more than my junk all right like that's just how (laughs) it is and, like, everybody's different, which is why I sometimes joke that I'm the opposite of a demisexual. I'm like, I'll bang you, but let's not have a heart-to-heart. We gotta get to know each other first. <laughs> yeah, we're like, that is, like, completely unimaginable to me, like, having sex with somebody for that long of a time and, like, not being emotionally connected to them. And I don't know, again, how much of that is because of that vulnerability that you said that 
like a lot I I definitely experienced that like even with people that I know very well like sometimes sex can be still very vulnerable and um so I don't know how much of it is that and like that I just don't feel comfortable or safe or how much of it is like I really am not attracted to you until I know you better it's, it's I mean, like, confusing. there was studies that people love bring. Huh. I keep bringing up studies that don't mean what people think they mean. I mean, that <laughs> is one of my special interests and passions, is studies that people don't really know what they mean and they just use them. Like, the, there's been multiple studies replicated over time, like social studies more than like lab studies where they'll have a random man go out and try to solicit random women for casual sex on a college campus and then they'll do it with you know a random woman going out and they're like well all the almost all the men said yes to random sex with a random woman and almost all the women said no to a random man therefore women don't like sex as much i'm like whoa no like clearly not it's clearly a fucking safety thing you genius like Clearly, like, if a random man came up to me to have sex, like, I'd be like, what the fuck? You know? Actually, more men should be like that. They should be a little more suspicious. Like, right? Like, how do you know? Like, are you really going to go to this stranger's apartment? Like, I mean, I guess we do that now kind of with Tinder. But, like, anyway, like, point being, like, these things don't mean what they think they mean. And, like, you talked about safety. And, like, yeah, you know? Most of the casual sex I've had, I haven't gone to somebody's house that I didn't know. Like, we had casual sex in a more neutral setting. You know, either my place or, like, we're at a convention and we're both in the staying in the same hotel. So, like, there's that safety kind of there. Like, you know, safety matters. And, like, when you feel safe and how you feel safe is obviously going to affect whether or not you're going to have sex with someone Mm -hmm. and not everyone wants to fantasize about just fantastical things. Like maybe your fantasies are actually affected by your lived experience as well. Hmm. Yeah. I, I I kind of relate to Ari uh, in the sense that I've wondered if I'm uh, Demi as well, but you know, there's, there's of course exceptions where like I've, you know, I've had casual hookups and everything, but I, I don't think I felt them at all, let alone deeply. And I've I have had the same difficulty with those memes, uh, you know, with like, oh, f- pick four celebrities you find attractive. And it's like, I don't know if they're attractive or not because I don't know them. <laughs> and um, I was just on a post today uh, of someone I dated would be a loose term, but like spent intimate time with intellectually way more than physically and uh she was asking just like you know is quarantine a good time for developing those intellectual connections where you have to talk for a very long time before seeing a person and like every post every comment in there was like oh i i get bored quickly and detach if we don't meet up within like you know some said a couple days some said a couple weeks but that was the theme of every response i saw and i'm like murph and i didn't even exchange phone numbers for a month like because we we texted that long on tinder and then we texted for another month on our phones before we even made plans to meet and that's kind of how i prefer it like i prefer to talk to somebody for a really long time uh even if i meet them i want to meet them in a neutral place you know no pressure or anything And I remember when I first moved to Minnesota, like I dated somebody that I saw once every six weeks and I was totally fine with that. So I've had that question wander into my mind, too. Like, is demisexual a thing that I identify with? And the truth is, I don't know. But I can say I relate to it in the sense that, like, I can write somebody for six months or, you know, exchange emails or messages or texts and be totally fine with that before meeting a person. Yeah, I, I definitely relate to to everything you said, except for the part that I've never had a casual hookup. Because, like, it's just never been something that I've been particularly interested in. And, like, even if I did find somebody that I was interested in doing that with, like, I have no idea how to go about it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, pretty much where I come down on the am I demi question is, like, Again, I don't know, but like f- for me, like the label is not that much 
important to me. Like it's totally cool for other people who, you know, having that label and identifying that way is super important. But for, I think for me, like just saying that, like, you know, I, I prefer relationships to casual sex or like it it would be a very rare instance where I would have sex with somebody that I didn't really know that well. Um, Like, I think those are fine descriptors for me, um, even without just, you know, putting a sexuality label on it. Yeah. I, I have had, so I guess I'm, I'm on the other side of this in that, um, I was very early on the internet dating scene. Like I was on OkCupid before I was technically legal to be on a dating site. Like, <laughs> oh, same. Yeah. So like from, so I, I had times where like I would chat with somebody extensively and connect with them emotionally, intellectually, maybe even having like flirty texts or whatever, not texts. There was, we weren't texting back then. We were just messaging. Uh, flirty messages but then I'd meet them in person and it wouldn't click and it wasn't it wasn't just like oh I thought they were ugly like no they matched their picture like that wasn't the issue it's just for whatever reason physically in person it didn't quite work for whatever reason and so that's why for me like I've been super cautious about like it's happened anyway and thankfully now I guess maybe now that I'm older I like know myself a little better so it hasn't been disastrous when I've um, been because of distance just talking to someone online and then meeting up with them but like that can backfire too and I think you know sometimes there's no way to predict if you're gonna get along in person um, on a romantic and or sexual level mm-hmm. but like if you're okay with like okay maybe we meet and it doesn't work but we're still gonna stay like friends maybe even flirty friends like that's okay um, and my problem too is that if I wait too long to have sex with someone, I tend to see them in a much better light until we have sex because I want something and I'm not getting it. (laughs) (laughs) So like I'm waiting, like obviously that's not the only reason I don't want to sound like a really callous person, but like sometimes the sex clears my head. Like I've stopped just yearning for them sexually and physically. And like, I can sort of see them more clearly And so I know it's the opposite for a lot of people. A lot of people will say, don't have sex too early because then you become attached. I'm like, no, (laughs) if I don't have sex for too long, I might get attached for all the wrong reasons. (laughs) Um, But like, see human, the human experience is so varied and unique. Yay. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I hear you saying that like people are, are having trouble with saying things into the void and not hearing any feedback. And as a person who's been podcasting for over four years, it's weird to hear other voices on the line. I'm used to just thinking I'm brilliant and disappearing. So a month ago, I was really busy. Um, it's it's good to know that at least under some circumstances, all the time I spent terrified of people paid off somehow. Like, everyone's all, I'm afraid to go out. I'm afraid to get near anyone. I'm afraid to use the bathroom. And I'm all, I'm trans, so same, but always. Yeah, my partner and I often find ways to stay at home and not have to talk to anyone, but we're not used to getting hashtags in support of it. I work in a hotel overnight, so combined with what's going on, my concept of time has completely gone out the window. Um, I not only forgot the fearless event was today, but I'm also pretty sure I didn't remember what year it was. Um, According to the calendar, it's 2020, and according to the upcoming election, it's 1954. What a weird time, right? I've lost complete recollection of a lot of things, but Facebook, Facebook, that... uh, service that crashed 47 times previously during this stream. Uh, It's keeping me reminded about what it was like to get chain letters from your aunt on AOL in 1997. Uh, Forward this to 10 people or uh, this email will give you the Rona. Thanks. 
Also, thanks to Facebook, I'm also now aware that people are playing I Spy with my photo gallery, that that you're going to lie to me about a band you saw or a job you had at a 1 out of 10 clip, uh, that we're celebrating seniors who don't get to graduate in person by showing them reminders that a lot of you did and had a great time, and also that a random number in a photo on my phone will brighten your day. That that last one, that's the toughest one for me. Uh, that post has been recirculated and re-edited uh, since approximately 1422. Um, my autistic literal reading thought spiraling ass always has trouble with those no cheating. It's always in caps. No cheating. As if you're checking. You're going to come on my phone and take a look. But brighten my day with this number of photo posts. Uh, my thoughts spiral just goes something like this. How would you know if I'm cheating? Are you going to Google my phone and compare the results? Is this like those quizzes people used to do where not Googling things was done on the honor system, but people totally did it anyway? And why is it always bright in my feed? It's such an odd choice of words. The contrast visual settings would do that a lot more literally. No? Plus, like, how do you know the picture would be a happier, brighter one? And isn't it not affecting your feed at all if it's in the comments. You don't scroll and see the pictures that people are posting there. You just see more copy-paste memes that I've hidden with different numbers. And also, how do you decide what number? What if someone only has 12 photos on their phone, but you want their 33rd? Without them being numbered, are people really going to take the time to count back 11 rows? Well, 12 because of the camera button, and pick the right one? And what if they're not on their phone? Should I pick the 12th one on my desktop, pictures folder, iCloud, hidden ones? No, you don't get the hidden ones, meme sharer, no. Now they're like all some versions of like super aggressive pandemic distraction captions. And my brain is just overwhelmed with the commentary. Like, it's always like, hey, stop sharing pandemic stuff and brighten my feet, asshole. I don't know. Anything to distract me uh, from what we got stuck with after a 48-year election cycle. Um, somehow, with the primary season beginning the day after Schmucka LaRange was elected, uh, we ended up with these two. Or as I like to call it, the shootout at the OK Boomer Corral. Yeah, I've, I've always wanted to see two white men in their 70s bring the debate to new heights. Like, who could have done more push-ups in high school? Uh, If I wanted to listen to overcompensating wannabe alpha males compete over who had the bigger class ring, I'd go to my high school reunion. But, you know, this is apparently the best we could do. We shut down America and its pastime just as we were about to have a good old swing in the mist with the entire country. Yay, baseball! But, you know, like I said, I work at a hotel, third shift overnight, and uh, it's been a bit bizarre. Not only did the number of people in the hotel steadily decline... I mean, I think last last shift I had, there were three. But one day I walked in and there was just no food. Then there was no more coffee. Then they took out all the chairs in the lobby. It was like living with your uncle who gets all his furniture from Rent-A-Center and he didn't pay the bill. Fortunately, I'm a, you know, essential employee despite not being listed on either side of any list I've been able to find. So that's been fun. My essential job is to figure out just how many games of solo eight ball I can play on the hotel's pool table. Um, Oh, there was a raccoon that ran by the gutter around 4.30 a.m. That was exciting. And just how much fun it is to try to find something to watch on 41 channels in the middle of the night. You think it's hard to stay awake during an eight-hour shift where occasionally something happens? Try staying awake at night, you know, when you're guaranteed to not encounter another person, and they took away the fucking coffee! At least it's better than driving in Minnesota within the last month? Holy shit. I wasn't anticipating Mad Max, but the roads quickly turned into it. Uh, A Star Tribune article a few days ago pointed out that traffic fatalities had risen despite a 55% reduction of cars on the road. I'm like, no shit. I nearly got T-boned by someone who ran a red light 
after they went around the van that was stopped at a green light because they were talking to someone outside the passenger window at 11 at night on Fremont. What the fuck is happening? Driving in downtown Minneapolis right now is like trying to beat Silent Hill and suddenly Mario Kart runs through the middle of the screen. Seriously, the eight people still using the light rail just walk out in front of your car now. Like, they don't even look. They're almost offended that I'm even there. The last time I saw that many people run out in front of something dangerous, it was because church was somehow exempt from it. Thank you so much. This was fun. I'm glad we finally got moving. Thank you.